Let us pray. O Lord, you invite us to speak to you as children speak to their dear Father. We thank you for the blessing of your love in Jesus. We are weak and often doubtful of your power, even as we seek to do all things with our own strength. Give us strength by your clear word, so that in our weakness, we trust in your strength, your grace, and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear fellow redeemed, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is the Holy Gospel appointed for the sixth Sunday of Easter, according to St. John, the 16th chapter, beginning with the 23rd verse. Please rise in Jesus' name. Jesus said, In that day you will not ask me anything. Amen, amen, I tell you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. I have told you these things using figurative language. A time is coming when I will no longer speak to you using figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I am not telling you that I will make requests of the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Now I am going to leave the world and go to the Father." Yes, his disciples said, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative language. Now we know that you know everything and do not need to have anyone ask you anything. For this reason, we believe that you came from God. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Jesus wished to prepare his disciples for the coming days. Immediately, he was preparing them for his betrayal, arrest, and death, during which time their hearts would be full of sorrow and doubt and fear. They needed something to cling on to until they could see the fulfillment of salvation in his resurrection. And he was also further preparing them for the last age of the world, which would span from his ascension until his return on the last day. And we are still in this time, this last age of the world. And like those disciples, it frequently happens for us that our hearts are full of sorrow and doubt and fear. We need something to cling to. Martin Luther, for whose gospel preaching our churches are called Lutheran, wrote this, Jesus knows how great and hard this battle is and that flesh and blood is too weak to grasp this comfort and to be very sensible of this help, but often feels that the opposite is true. For this reason, he counsels them to turn to prayer and to begin to sob and call to God when they feel the weakness that causes them to lack the comfort, the strength, and the ability to bear and overcome the suffering, the anxiety, and the sorrow. I had a pastor once tell me that prayer is like breathing. God breathes to us in his word. We breathe that word in, receiving it and receiving life by it. And our life is shown then by how we then exhale, how we breathe out. And when we breathe out, we breathe out in prayer. When anxiety strikes, when difficult times and difficult emotions grip us, everyone knows how important it is to breathe. 
Focus on your breath. Deliberately supply your blood and your body with the oxygen that it needs, and you can regulate and survive those difficult things. The greatest breathing that we can receive is this, the Word of God supplying His love, and then our response in prayer expressing our faith and our life. This is what Jesus hopes to accomplish for us by his word. Jesus tells us about the Father's love. And see how he speaks to us plainly in Jesus. And in response, how we speak to him in prayer. Jesus mentions figurative language that he uses. He was well known for his preaching and use of parables. Once his disciples asked him why he spoke in parables, and his answer was an echo of the prophet Isaiah who said, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of heaven, but it has not been given to them. For whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. This is why I speak in parables, because even though they see, they do not see. And even though they hear, they do not hear or understand. And then the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, You will hear clearly, but you will never understand. You will see clearly, but you will never perceive. Because this people's heart has grown callous, their ears are hard of hearing. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart, turn, and I would heal them. In the parables, willful unbelievers would not gain any insight. Those who excluded themselves from the kingdom of heaven, therefore, relinquished their invitation. Jesus told a parable about just such people. All those who were invited to the wedding banquet of the king's son made excuses one after another. Some of them even seized the king's servant, mistreated them, and killed them. As a result, the king was very angry. He sent his army and killed those murderers and burned their town. Jeremiah, the prophet of sorrows, was instructed by God, So say all these things to them, but they will not listen to you. Call to them, but they will not answer you. Even at this time, the apostles themselves lacked full understanding. Jesus had just spoken to them using figurative language. But now I am going away to him who sent me, and not one of you asks me, where are you going? And they easily could have thought by these words that he was going on an earthly journey, taking a road trip. They failed to understand the heavenly meaning to his words. And so he clarified for them, I came from the Father and have come into the world. Now I am going to leave the world and go to the Father. And this is clearer. It's not an earthly journey. Jesus will depart this world and return to God. The disciples have some understanding of this. A little light bulb moment happened. Yes, they said, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative language. Now we know that you know everything and do not need to have anyone ask you anything. For this reason, we believe that you came from God. And they may have been remembering the prophet Elijah, who went up to heaven in a whirlwind and was taken by a chariot of fire with horses of fire. But Jesus knows their understanding is still limited. He prophesies, listen, a time is coming. In fact, is here when you will be scattered. Everyone to his own home. You will leave me alone. Notice that they will leave him 
before he leaves them. But still, he comforts them. We can understand a number of things about such limited understanding. The disciples are like children. Children need easier concepts and materials before they can grow and advance into more complicated things. They need the basics before they can grow and understand more. It's a marvelous thing for a parent or a teacher to be there for a child's epiphany or light bulb moment about something that they're learning. But we also know that that's only a small step towards something greater. Scripture describes this as milk instead of solid food. And sometimes that's a shameful thing. St. Paul criticizes the Christians at Corinth, saying, Brothers, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as people who are led by the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you were not ready. Why, even now you are still not ready, because you are still people who are following the flesh. So they should have been growing and advancing. But they were fighting against the spiritual things. They were holding on to the fleshly things. And we should also be aware of how willing our spirits are to grow in understanding. It is a blessing for his people that Jesus provides this spiritual milk. It's a blessing that even without complete understanding, a person can be saved. And therefore, through the waters of baptism, even an infant can have faith. Even an elderly person with dementia, one who has forgotten all the names of his or her children, can still be sustained in the faith. Even a drop of milk of the word is sufficient to give eternal life. That doesn't mean we should be complacent, though. The disciples understand, like children, imperfectly and naively, but Jesus loves them, holds them close, and strengthens them in their faith and understanding. He wants them to grow. And once they do grow, once they have that Holy Spirit after the resurrection of Jesus, they will then be able to nourish others as well. It's the same dynamic in families. Infants who need milk are not fed milk by other infants who also need milk. They're fed by the adults who eat solid food. So each of us must still grow and learn. For the disciples, the full plan of salvation was not yet clear. God had revealed his plan, but in figures of speech, from the Old Testament through John the Baptist, and now Jesus was concluding all of that period. He was the meaning of all of those figures. All he asked of his infant people was their obedience in faith. These disciples who followed Jesus were just such faithful. Lord, to whom will we go? Peter once asked. You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. While it wasn't yet clear that Jesus would suffer, die, and rise again, and by this means win their peace with God and their salvation, he told them this, but it was enough for the present that they simply believe in him. He would bring about the conclusion for them. And therefore he taught them to pray. He gave them his word, which ignited their faith and sustained them in it. And he gave them the means also then to speak back, praying, Our Father, who art in heaven. As our catechism teaches, this means God would hereby tenderly invite us to believe that he is our true Father, and that we are his true children, so that we may ask him with all boldness and confidence as children ask their dear Father. 
This is the teaching of prayer. We are children. God is our Father. We are weak. He is strong. We cannot fully understand. Even when we advance to more solid food, we will never fully understand in this life. But he can, and he promises to hear us and to bear us through to eternal life. So it is necessary, and it is required, that we speak to him in prayer. Because we are children, and we cannot accomplish our own salvation. So we speak to God. We may know the truth, and we may have understood it from the time that we were physical children, but it so happens that suddenly and in the twinkling of an eye, we have forgotten this comfort. And even though all of our books and our mouths are full of this article of faith, justification by grace alone, we sometimes lack the strength to enable us to cling to it in the face of the devil's opposition, if God will not powerfully preserve us in it. We always desperately need our Father's help. And it's true that he knows all we need even before we ask, and he has taught us all this, but our prayer shows the faith that he has given. It's the breath of life which he has given. So we pray, hallowed be thy name, knowing, of course, that God's name is certainly holy in itself, but we pray in this petition that it may be holy among us also. And we're made to understand that God's name is hallowed when his word is taught in its truth and purity, and we as children of God live holy lives according to it. This grant us, dear Father in heaven. But he who teaches and lives otherwise than the word of God teaches dishonors God's name among us. From this preserve us, Heavenly Father. These are the words of Luther's small catechism that show us the priority of God's word. There's no other hope for us than in God's word. If his breath does not come into our nostrils, we have no life. Just as he breathed into the first man, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And we are just as dead as that dust out of which we were formed. Our sin makes us exclusively residents of this dead earth. We are dead even while we're alive. In this sin-soaked world with our sin-soaked souls, we cannot hallow God's name the way we ought to. But his word, his word gives life to our spirits and causes our lungs and our mouths to move and to praise him. And so we also pray thy kingdom come, meaning the kingdom of God certainly comes of itself without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may come to us also. No one can control or direct God's kingdom but God himself. But if we already have his spirit, we desperately want his kingdom to be among us. The kingdom of God comes when our Father gives us his Holy Spirit so that by his grace we believe his holy word and live godly lives here in time and hereafter in eternity. The kingdom is in our hearts by faith. And having already received it, therefore, it is living in your heart now. We know its value. And we know the vanity of living without it. 
And so we want it and we request it more and more. In the Old Testament, God required that sacrifices be made every day. Morning and evening, a lamb was sacrificed in the temple, and each time there was a festival or a particular sin to be confessed, another sacrifice was to be made. But in Jesus, you know, all those sacrifices are fulfilled. By God's will, we have been sanctified once and for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. But here's some solid food for you. Our prayers must be offered just as those sacrifices once had to be offered. David anticipated this change in one of his psalms. May my prayer linger before you like incense, the lifting up of my hands like an evening offering. After all, as Hosea prophesies, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And so our confession and our prayer is the God-pleasing sacrifice that we make. Through Jesus, therefore, let us constantly offer to God a sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Lately, I've seen a lot of hostile rhetoric from the unbelieving world that condemns Christians who pray. Prayer is useless. You should be doing something. None of you should ever feel guilty for praying. God commands it. God loves it. And God tells you that your prayer is good for your fellow men. You are helping your neighbor in need when you pray. Here's more meat for you to solidify why it is so good to pray. Those sacrifices in the temple had to be burned by the fire from God, the fire of heaven. Aaron's sons, who were supposed to be priests, rejected God's fire. And they sought to bring their own fire to burn the sacrifices. But when they did, fire came out from the Lord's presence and consumed them. In the same way, it is not our own inner fire or spirit that makes our sacrifices of prayer acceptable to God. We have to be illuminated by the fire of His Holy Spirit. A hymn of Martin Luther's expresses this reality, singing, Thou holy fire, comfort true, grant us the will thy work to do, and in thy service to abide. Let trials turn us not aside. Lord, by thy power prepare each heart, and to our weakness strength impart, that bravely here we may contend through life and death. To thee, our Lord, ascend. Alleluia, alleluia. Hearts so ignited by heavenly fire present God-pleasing sacrifices of prayer. And just as those Old Testament sacrifices were made through the tabernacle, our prayers now must be made through the tabernacle of Jesus, the word of God who has made flesh and who dwelled among us. Literally, those words dwelled among us in John's gospel mean tabernacled among us. Jesus' flesh is the true tabernacle of God. By dying on the cross as the final and once and for all sacrifice, fulfilling the meaning of all those Old Testament sacrifices, Jesus became the sacrifice that makes all our prayers acceptable to God. If it's God's spirit and not our own that makes our prayers acceptable, then it should be no surprise 
that we pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning, of course, the good and gracious will of God is certainly done without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may be done also among us. But how is God's will done? God's will is done when he breaks and hinders every evil counsel and will which would not let us hallow his name nor let his kingdom come, such as the will of the devil, the world, and our own flesh, but strengthens and keeps us steadfast in faith and in his word until our end. This is his good and gracious will. God's will was for his son to die in our place. God's will is to come to us in the word and sacraments. God's will is to give us all we need to fulfill his promises to us. So how can believing hearts not say, thy will be done? So we pray that he keep his promises, including give us this day our daily bread. Jesus taught us that the birds of the air do not sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Just so God certainly gives daily bread without our prayer, even to all the wicked. But we pray in this petition that he would lead us to acknowledge this and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. Prayer is the expression of faith. Our confession. Our saying with God what he has already said. He has said that he will provide for all our earthly needs and all our heavenly needs as well. These earthly needs are called daily bread. Daily bread includes everything needed for this life, such as food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, fields, cattle, money, goods, God-fearing spouse and children, faithful servants and rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, order, honor, true friends, good neighbors, and the like. God is not only concerned for our heavenly and eternal life. He provides for this life also. But in every blessing that we have in this life, we should see the life that he's prepared for us in heaven. By his great mercy, he gave us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, into an inheritance that is undying, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Through faith, you are being protected by God's power for the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the end of time. In preparation for that eternal life, we also pray and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would not look upon our sins nor on their account deny our prayer, for we are not worthy of anything we ask, neither have we deserved it but we pray that he would give us everything by grace. For we daily sin much and deserve nothing but punishment. We, on our part, will heartily forgive and readily do good to those who sin against us. It's a humbling thing to admit that we deserve nothing. Absolutely nothing from God. And therefore to petition his mercy and his forgiveness. It's the same thing as asking for his will to be done and not our will. We confess that we are unworthy, but he has promised more than we could ask or even imagine. We admit that this flesh is sinful and there are many things that make us sin. So we ask further and lead us not into temptation, 
We mean by this, God certainly tempts no one to sin, but we pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our own flesh may not deceive us nor lead us into misbelief, despair, and other shameful sin and vice. And though we be thus tempted, that we may still in the end overcome and retain the victory. I want you to see just how often in our prayer we confess our weakness. Only God can save us from this body of death. He promises to do just that. And we pray according to his promise, but deliver us from evil. God's will is good. We would be with God in his eternal and good kingdom, and therefore we would escape from evil. So we pray in this petition, as the sum of all, that our Father in heaven would deliver us from every evil of body and soul, property and honor, and at last, when the hour of death shall come, grant us a blessed end and graciously take us from this valley of sorrow to himself in heaven. Every evil is a mire of quicksand from which our God rescues us. Finally, and ultimately, it is always good for a Christian to meditate on his own death. Have you thought about your funeral? Have you made plans for your burial? Have you spoken to your pastor about what gospel needs to be spoken to your family and friends after you depart this life? You will die. This is true unless Jesus returns first. Each one of us will end up in a box in the ground, food for worms. But even that death itself is converted by Jesus into a blessing from God. This evil world will be escaped and you will be given eternal life. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, I am going to leave the world and go to the Father. And he said, I go and prepare a place for you. So when we go, we are delivered by Jesus' death and resurrection from this evil world into the eternal place prepared for us by our Savior. Our words conform to God's spirit, which he gives by his word and sacraments, his teaching. And therefore we conclude our prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God is God and we are his creatures. If we have good things, they will come from him. If he is in his rightful place, having his kingdom, power and glory, and we are under his gracious rule, we will receive his gracious gifts. So to his word we say, Amen. What does amen mean? Amen means that we should be sure that these petitions are acceptable to our Father in heaven and that and they are heard by him. For he himself has commanded us so to pray and has promised to hear us. Amen, amen, that is yes, yes, it shall be so. Jesus won blessings for us here in time and hereafter in eternity by his death to pay for our sins and his resurrection to show how he received glory and how we will receive that glory. Hearing this truth and hearing this gospel, we confess our faith. We agree that he is faithful. And we say, Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.